Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to Tech Resources Q1 2020 Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. This conference call is being recorded on Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Fraser Phillips, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Strategic Analysis. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, Elena, and good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Tech's first quarter 2020 results conference call. Before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the caution regarding forward-looking statements on slide two. This presentation contains forward-looking statements regarding our business. This slide describes the assumptions underlying those statements. Various risks and uncertainties may cause actual results to vary. Tech does not assume the obligation to update any forward-looking statement. I would also like to point out that we use various non-GAAP measures in this presentation. You can find explanations and reconciliations regarding these measures in the appendix. With that, I will turn the call over to Don Lindsay, our President and CEO. Thank you, Fraser, and good morning, everyone. Well, these certainly continue to be difficult times, not just in the mining sector, but for all of us, as we navigate the evolving COVID-19 challenge, both personally and professionally. Like you, we are continuing to work from home, and so the entire senior management team is dialed in remotely this morning, uh, so please bear with us in the event there are any hiccups. We last spoke during our Investor and Analyst Day conference call on April 1st, uh, just about three weeks ago, and that included a summary of our COVID-19 response measures, uh, some initial highlights from our first quarter results, and of course, our QB2 project update. Today, we will focus on updates from the full results from our first quarter, as well as some additional detail on our COVID-19 protocols and the impact of COVID-19 on our operations. I'll begin on slide three with first quarter highlights, followed by Ron Millos, our CFO, who will provide additional color on our financial results. We will conclude with a Q&A session where Ron and I and additional members of our senior management team would be happy to answer any questions. Our focus is on managing the risks around COVID-19 ensuring that we have the necessary measures in place to safeguard our people and our local communities. The global health situation posed by COVID-19 is unlike anything previously faced by companies, by families, and by communities. The scope and severity of this pandemic requires all of us to step up and do our part. And we are proud to have announced last week the creation of a $20 million fund to support the COVID-19 response and future recovery efforts. Nothing is more important than the health and safety of our employees, our contractors, and the communities where we operate. While our COVID-19 response has temporarily reduced production at some of our operations, all of our managed sites are currently operating. There has been no material impact on sales or shipments of tech products due to COVID-19 to date, but there is a risk that sales volumes could decline significantly in Q2 following the dramatic slowdown that we have seen in global economic activity. It is clearly still a very fluid situation with COVID-19, and the overall impact on our business will depend on the progression of the pandemic and on the success of measures in place to combat it. And as such, we have suspended all previously issued 2020 annual guidance. Now, despite the emergence of COVID-19, there were a number of positives in the first quarter. Steelmaking coal had a very strong finish to the quarter, with sales exceeding our quarterly guidance, adjusted site cost of sales coming in well below previous expectations, reduced finished coal inventories at our mine sites, and that provides greater operational flexibility, and the logistics supply chain performed very well in March, including West Shore. We completed the Elkview plant expansion in mid-April. This is a very important milestone because it increases annual capacity at Elkview from 7 million tons to 9 million tons. And this is important because it will enable us to replace 
higher cost production from Cardinal River, which produced 1.4 million tons in 2019, with much lower cost production from Elkview when Cardinal River closes later this year. And taking into account both the cost savings and the higher average pricing for Elkview coal, because it is higher quality, and then assuming $150 U.S. per ton of coal pricing and current exchange rates, this strategic move should translate to an annual increase in our EBITDA of approximately $160 million. The initial investment was just $135 million, so that is a rapid payback on an asset that will provide significant long-term value to our business, literally for decades to come. At the same time, we continue to advance our four key priorities. On March 31st, we issued an updated capital cost estimate for our QB2 project with the to-go capital estimated at 3.9 billion US before considering any impacts of the current suspension as a result of the COVID-19 situation. This estimate is based on an average exchange rate over the remainder of the build of 775 trillion pesos per US dollar. At the current exchange rate of around 850 Chilean pesos to the dollar, capital expenditure would be $240 million U.S. lower than that $5.2 billion. We are consolidating the improvements that we implemented in 2019 under our Race 21 initiative, which is now focused on transforming the company for the future. We continue to advance the strategically important Neptune terminal upgrade, which will secure a long-term low-cost and reliable supply chain solution for our steelmaking coal business unit. Preparations are underway for the suspension of terminal operations for five months, starting on May 1st. And you will recall that we made the decision to proceed with the extended shutdown of Neptune in order to match port capacity with reduced production and to improve productivity and safety as we advance construction. We have increased our target for total reductions under our cost reduction program to a billion dollars from previously planned spending through the end of 2020. And we have achieved 375 million in capital operating cost reductions to date since starting the program in the fourth quarter of 2019. And importantly, we have maintained a strong financial position with current liquidity of $5.8 billion. Turning to our financial results on slide four, in the first quarter, revenues were $2.4 billion, and gross profit before depreciation and amortization was $776 million. Profitability was impacted by the significant negative effect of COVID-19 on commodity prices. Our unadjusted EBITDA also reflects a non-cash pre-tax impairment charge of $647 million related to our interest in Fort Hills. Bottom line adjusted profit attributable to shareholders was $94 million, or $0.17 cents per share, on both a basic and a fully diluted basis. Details of the quarter's earnings adjustments are on slide 5. With effect from January 1, 2020, we have made changes to how we present adjusted profit attributable to shareholders and adjusted EBITDA. So going forward, we will include additional items that we have not previously included in our adjustments, and comparative figures have been restated. And this is really based on feedback that we've had directly from our shareholders. We now include adjustments for environmental costs, including changes related to decommissioning and restoration costs for our closed operations, also share-based compensation costs, inventory write-downs and reversals, and commodity derivatives. And we believe that these changes are adjusted profit attributable with these changes, our adjusted profit attributable to shareholders and adjusted EBITDA will better reflect the results of our core operating activities and will help readers to understand the ongoing cash generating performance of our business and bring us more in line with practice at our peer group. In the first quarter, the most significant adjustment was the non-cash impairment charge related to our interest in Fort Hills, which uh, was $474 million this time on an after-tax basis. There were also $22 million of COVID-19 expenses in the first quarter on an after-tax basis, and Ron will speak to this in greater detail shortly. Environmental costs and share-based compensation reduced our adjusted profit attributed to shareholders by $87 million and $22 million, respectively. 
and this was partially offset by 27 million in inventory write-downs and 15 million in commodity derivatives. So with these and other minor adjustments, bottom line adjusted profit was 94 million or 17 cents per share, again on both a basic and a fully diluted basis. Please note that we continue to not adjust for settlement pricing adjustments, which were negative 64 million or negative 12 cents per share in the first quarter on an after-tax basis. And again, that is based on feedback from, from analysts and shareholders. Turning to our response to COVID-19 on slide six, as I've said many times, nothing is more important than the health and the safety of our employees, contractors, and the communities where we operate. And so we have put in place comprehensive preventative measures at every one of our sites. And these measures include reducing on-site crew sizes, enhanced cleaning and disinfecting protocols, eliminating group meetings and promoting physical distancing, and also requiring anyone with symptoms not to come to work and promoting preventative measures like frequent hand washing. We're also being diligent in ensuring those preventative measures are being followed and we are working closely in collaboration with employee unions such as the United Steelworkers. In the last three weeks alone, this is very important, our health and safety teams have conducted over 5,000 individual audits to ensure that COVID-19 protocols are being implemented and that they are effective. And earlier this month, the Regional Health Authority conducted an audit of COVID-19 prevention measures at our steelmaking coal operations, which confirmed that we, and I quote, have strong protocols in place with regards to COVID-19, close quote. As I mentioned earlier, we've also created a $20 million fund to provide direct support to critical services in areas where we operate. And the, this includes procuring and donating essential medical supplies, such as the million KN95 masks that, that support local health and social services affected by COVID-19 and contributing to relief efforts. I will now run through highlights by business units, starting with Steelmaking Coal on slide seven. As I mentioned at the start, Steelmaking Coal had a strong finish to the quarter with sales of 5.7 million tons, which exceeded our previously issued guidance. Also adjusted site cost of sales coming in well below previously expectations at $63 per ton. And finished coal inventories have been reduced at our mine site enhancing operational flexibility, and I can tell you we're very pleased about that. And then the logistics supply chain performed very well in March. We also completed the Elkview plant expansion to 9 million tons of capacity in mid-April, and this, again, is a very important milestone. We commenced a temporary slowdown of our steelmaking coal operations on March 25th, which lasted approximately two weeks. We had reduced our crews by up to 50% of regular levels in the period, which reduced production to between 80 and 85% of normal levels. But because we now have greater confidence, we're further up the learning curve in dealing with COVID-19, beginning a week ago, operating crews were returned to 75% of normal levels. So that's a step in the right direction. We are currently at stable levels of production across all operations and subject to market demand. We are planning to increase production further in Q4 of 2020 when the Neptune extended outage and our annual major plant outages are scheduled to be completed. In terms of sales, our second quarter sales volumes could decrease significantly from first quarter 2020 levels as COVID-19 is expected to continue to impact global economic activity and steelmaking coal demand and supply. We are starting to receive notifications from customers that they may delay purchases in response to reduced demand for their steel products as their own customers are reducing or suspending production of their products. Turning to our copper business unit, our Q1 results are summarized on slide eight. Copper production of 70,600 tons in the quarter was similar to a year ago. Higher production at Carmen de Coyo and Hana Valley Copper offset decreases at Antimina and QB. Net cash unit costs 
after the cash margin for byproducts of $1.27 U.S. per pound were 28 cents lower than the same period a year ago, reflecting our CRP, our cost reduction program, and also favorable exchange rates. As you know, we announced a temporary suspension of construction activities at our QB2 project on March 18th. That impacts a total of approximately 15,000 workers. Demobilization was essentially complete by March 23rd, so pretty good execution on that. And while this was initially planned for a two-week period, project construction activities still remain on hold today. We continue to reassess the status of the suspension in light of the rapidly evolving COVID-19 situation, but our priorities continue to be the safety of our workforce and supporting Chilean efforts to limit transmission of COVID-19. We cannot predict when the temporary suspension of the project will be lifted. If full construction activities are restarted in the second quarter, the soonest we would expect first production would be mid-2022. Similar to the actions we took at our steelmaking coal operations, we commenced a temporary slowdown of operations at Highland Valley Copper on March 25th, which lasted approximately two weeks. We initially reduced our on-site crews by up to 50% of regular levels in that period, and we reduced production to approximately 85% of normal levels. But beginning a week ago, again, because we're further up the learning curve and people have more confidence in our operating practices and protocols, operating crews were returned to 75% of normal levels, and opportunities are being evaluated to increase production back up to normal operating levels while maintaining social distance measures. Antamina temporarily suspended operations on April 13th to support Peruvian COVID-19 response efforts and to facilitate a change in workforce. Antamina has implemented protocols to ensure the health and safety of all workers, and it is coordinating its response with public health authorities. Safe demobilization of the workforce has been completed, including implemented COVID-19 testing of employees and contractors. Antamina is working towards a restart, but timing on resuming operation, operations is uncertain at this time. At our Chilean operations, Carmadan de Coyo and Covada Blanca, we continue to operate at normal production levels with reduced workforce levels on site. Our zinc business units results are summarized on slide nine. And as a reminder, Antamina's zinc-related financial results are reported in our copper business unit. Red Dog sales of zinc, of zinc and concentrate of 134,000 tons, were within our quarterly guidance range. Red Dog zinc production increased compared to a year ago, primarily due to substantially higher mill throughput, which was offset uh, by lower grades and recoveries, which offset lower grades and recoveries. In the first quarter last year, mill operations were negatively affected by a 20-day shutdown due to the effects of severe winter weather. At trail operations, production of refined zinc was higher than in the first quarter last year. We recorded an inventory write-down of $19 million related to trail operations in the quarter. Looking forward, the unique fly-in, fly-out circumstances at our Red Dog operations in Northwest Alaska has necessitated significant travel restrictions and modified schedules to maintain safe operations. But to date, normal production levels have been maintained. Sales of Red Dog Zinc concentrate are normally lower in the second quarter than the first quarter ahead of the start of the new shipping season. This year, our second quarter sales could decrease significantly compared to Q2 2019 as COVID-19 is expected to continue to impact global economic activity and zinc demand and supply. At our trail operations, we have maintained production levels while reducing the workforce on site on weekdays by over 40%, resulting from restructured shift schedules and people working from home. Sales volumes of refined zinc from trail could decrease significantly again from Q1 2020 due to COVID-19. Our energy business unit results are summarized on slide 10. And as you are aware, global 
crude markets are in a period of unprecedented volatility. Now, this script was written a few days before yesterday, but uh, that, of course, is an understatement. Prices declined dramatically in the first quarter as a result of the unparalleled collapse in demand following the measures taken to combat COVID-19 across all major economies and exacerbated by an increase in supply from both Saudi Arabia and Russia. Our realized prices and operating results were hit hard by the drop in oil prices. The gross loss before depreciation and amortization from our energy business was $90 million in the first quarter, and included in the loss was an inventory write-down of $23 million. In addition, we recorded a non-cash pre-tax impairment charge of $647 million in the quarter related to Fort Hills. Looking forward, Fort Hills is temporarily operating as a single-trained facility in light of COVID-19 and in light of depressed Western Canada select prices as previously announced. And this should significantly re reduce variable operating costs and mitigate losses. Assuming Fort Hills is operated as a single train facility through the balance of 2020, we expect our share of Fort Hills production will be 8 to 9 million barrels of bitumen, and our unit operating costs will be between $37 Canadian and $40 per barrel for the full year. The Fort Hills partners continue to monitor market conditions and may adjust the operating plan for Fort Hills accordingly. For the full year, we have reduced our planned 2020 capital spending in our energy business unit now down to $85 million from previously $175 million. And with that, I will pass over to Ron Mills for some comments on our financial results. Ron, over to you. Great. Thanks, Don. I'll uh, start by addressing the changes in our cash position uh, during the first quarter on slide 12. Uh, we generated $279 million in cash flow from operations. Uh, the net change in debt was $220 million, uh, and we received $61 million in proceeds from investments and other assets. We spent $818 million on capital projects and $172 million on our stripping activities. And we purchased approximately 16.3 million Class B shares under our normal course issuer bid for $207 million in the quarter. And that completes the $1 billion share buybacks uh, previously authorized by, by our board. Uh, we paid $109 million in interest and finance charges. We paid $43 million of lease liabilities. And we paid $27 million in the regular base dividends. After these and other minor items, uh, we ended the quarter with cash and short-term investments of $219 million. Uh, one other note about our quarterly uh, financial results, not on the slide, but after adjusting for the Fort Hills impairment, our overall effective tax rate on profit before taxes was 39% in the quarter, and that's above our uh, longer-term general expectation of 35 to uh, 37%, and that's primarily due to the losses at uh, Fort Hills and Trail, uh, which are not subject to mining taxes. If we remain in a lower operating margin environment and continue to experience losses at Fort Hills, we would expect our effective tax rate on profit uh, before taxes to uh, remain a little bit elevated above uh, those normal expected levels. Uh, turning to uh, COVID-19 expenditures on slide 12, uh, we previously mentioned that we were reviewing the accounting treatment of these expenditures that are incremental in nature and incurred specifically because of COVID-19. So no COVID-19 specific expenditures will be uh, charged against our capital projects as, as they really don't add any value to those projects. Uh, COVID costs related to the production of products will be expensed as incurred in, uh, in our cost of sales rather than being charged to inventories and then flowing through to our future earnings when the products are ultimately sold. Uh, COVID-19 expenditures not related to the production of products will be expensed as incurred in our other operating expenses. And to assist readers in analyzing and understanding our more normal operating results, we have deducted all COVID-19 related costs that were expensed from our profit attributable shareholders uh, in our adjusted earnings table. Uh, in the first quarter, our COVID-19 expenditures were $44 million on a pre-tax basis. And that included uh, $32 million related to the temporary suspension of construction at our QB2 project. Uh, $5 million uh, of finance expenses uh, were, uh, were uh, included in the adjusted items. 
and that was due to uh, us not allowing to uh, capitalize the interest expenses while QB2 was uh, is in suspension on the construction. And in addition to that, there was $7 million related to incremental COVID expenditures at, uh, throughout our various operations. Uh, COVID expenditures in the second quarter will depend on the trajectory of the pandemic, but they are expected to be higher than what we expensed in the first quarter of uh, this year. Uh, slide uh, 13 summarizes our cost reduction program. Uh, as Don mentioned, we've intensified the focus on our cost reduction program across the organization in the context of COVID-19. On April 1st, we announced uh, our targeted reductions were increased to uh, $1 billion of previously planned spending from the launch of the program in the beginning of Q4 2019 through to the end of 2020. And to the end of March, we've received or achieved approximately $375 million of capital operating costs reductions since uh, we announced the program last year. Uh, turning to slide 14, our financial uh, position remains strong with, uh, with about $5.8 billion Canadian of liquidity, and that includes $525 million in cash. We maintain a U.S. $4 billion revolving credit facility, of which uh, $3.75 billion is currently available. And importantly, this uh, facility is committed out to the fourth quarter of 2024. It does not have any earnings or cash flow-based financial covenants, does not include a credit rating trigger, and does not include a general material adverse effect borrowing condition. The only financial covenant is a net debt to capitalization ratio that cannot exceed 60%, and at March 31st, that ratio was 20%. Uh, we only have 500 million of notes maturing in the next four years with nothing due in 2020, no significant uh, debt maturities prior to 2035, and we have investment-grade credit ratings from all four credit rating agencies. And for our QB2 projects, the funds from the QB2 partnering transaction with Sumitomo Metal Mining and Sumitomo Corporation and the U.S. $2.5 billion limited recourse project financing facility uh, dramatically reduces our funding requirements for the project. During the first quarter, we drew $50 million on the uh, U.S. $2.5 billion limited recourse financing facility. Uh, going forward, project spending will be from the project financing until it reaches a specific ratio of project financing to total shareholder funding. Uh, tech's next contribution uh, to the project capital are not expected until Q1 2021. That, of course, is subject to the impact of uh, COVID-19 on the projected schedule and timing of capital spending. Uh, we do not expect COVID-19 impacts to prevent us from drawing on the project financing facility. And overall, our financial uh, position is in good shape to allow us to weather the challenges around COVID-19. And with that, I will turn it back to uh, Don for his closing comments. Well, thanks, Ron. As I said at the outset, these continue to be unprecedented times that we're living in. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant negative impact on the global economy and commodity markets, and the outlook remains uncertain. Our focus is on managing the risks around COVID-19 and ensuring that we have the necessary measures in place to safeguard our people and our local communities. While our COVID-19 response has temporarily reduced production at some of our operations, all of our managed sites are currently operating, and that is acknowledging that Antamina is a joint venture with BHP, Glencore, and Mitsubishi. There has been no material impact on sales or shipments of tech products due to COVID-19 so far, but there is a risk that sales volumes could decline significantly in Q2 following the dramatic slowdown that we've seen in global economic activity. And despite the emergence of COVID-19, there were a number of positives, including a very strong finish to the quarter in steelmaking coal, and very importantly, the completion of the Elkview plant expansion, which sets us up in a really good position for decades to come. At the same time, we continue to progress our four key priorities, and those are the QB2 project, which will help rebalance our portfolio, Race 21, which will set us up transform the company for the long term and improve productivity and reduce costs. Neptune, which will secure a long-term, low-cost and reliable supply chain solution for our steelmaking gold business and lower costs for decades to come. And finally, our CRP, the company-wide cost reduction program with an increased target of a billion dollars. We have a very strong financial position and we are well positioned to weather this storm and the challenges around COVID-19. And with that, 
we'd be happy to answer any questions. And as a reminder, we are all on phone lines from home, so please bear with us if there's a delay while we sort out who will answer uh, your question. So back to you, operator. Thank you. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up question. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief possible participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Orest Waukadau with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, Donna, I'm wondering if you can give us some more color on your comments about um, significantly uh, lower potential coal sales in, in Q2 and that you're seeing customers defer delivery uh, of volume. Can you give us a sense of, A, how many customers? Um, are you just seeing the beginning of that, or, or are you seeing substantial amount? And the language here obviously seems a lot different than uh, what we heard uh, three weeks ago. Um, and I'm curious how much of that might be related to the uh, India being closed as well. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's an important question, and you are uh, correct that it has changed a, a fair bit in the last three weeks, particularly in the last two weeks, and the conversations are ongoing. I'm going to turn it over to Rail Foley in a minute, but uh, just a perspective on this, it, it does feel similar to uh, one of the quarters that we had during 2008-2009, and uh, it lasted for a while while the customers, um, you know, went through the, the, the dip of, uh, of, you know, demand for their own products, came back quite quickly. Um, we don't know how much volume might be deferred. It, it's not talked about cancellation, really, it's deferral to the next quarter, but, you know, it all kind of uh, uh, cascades through subsequent quarters. Um, and uh, we won't know um, for certain exactly which ships will come when um, uh, for, for a few weeks, or it'll, it'll happen throughout the quarter. So, unfortunately, we can't give guidance on it. I know you're looking for a better sense for the volumes involved, and at this stage, uh, it's very difficult to answer that. But um, Ray, all over to you for a little bit more color on uh, the discussions. All right, uh, thanks, Don. Uh, so, Orest, we we are seeing hot metal capacity cuts around two thirds of what have, has been announced to date. Uh, it's concentrated in Europe, the U.S., and India. So, as you said, uh, India is definitely part of this. But also, with the rapid spread of COVID-19, there's more countries that have implemented lockdown uh, measures. And uh, as, as Don said during the presentation, the global economic activity has slowed uh, with lower demand for a number of products that uh, steel goes into. Uh, recently, we've seen announcement of BF uh, glass furnace closures or reduced hot metal production in other countries that include Japan, Brazil, and South Africa as well. And so far, the, the total hot metal cuts uh, represent somewhere around 78 to 80 million tons on an annualized basis. So that is around 15% or so of the blast furnace capacity outside of China and Russia. Thank you. And, John, when you, when you see it feels like 2008, 2009, when I go back and look, uh, it looks like in Q109 your coal sales bottomed at 3.7 million tons. Um, is that – I realize you can't give guidance, but is that the sort of goalpost on one end of the spectrum – might be realistic. Um, yeah, I'd say yes. I mean, it's possible. I don't think so, but um, it, the way you phrased it as goalposts that one in the spectrum, yeah, those kind of things are possible. And it doesn't mean that those sales are, are lost forever. They tend to come back. But um, in terms of the timing of deliveries, that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos D'Alba with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so the question is, maybe, Don, can you give us some qualitative comments on, on the cost performance that, that you expect in Q2? And you, you discussed the impact on sales volumes, uh, both in sync and, and call in the press release, but uh, supposedly, or presumably your cost also will come down. Uh, how, how do you see that, that part of the equation? 
uh, you know, with less volumes by the impact on fixed calls, uh, potentially offset by uh, progress in CRP and, and race 21 progress. Yeah, so there, there are different parts to that question. So what I'm going to suggest is, uh, uh, Robin Sharmetta, why don't you start with costs and coal, and then, Dale, you follow up uh, on the copper and zinc. Sure. Robin, it's, uh, I guess in one sense we're fortunate that uh, we've spent the last – Few years structurally changing the coal business units, but there's a number of things that will play out through 2020, uh, not the least of which is the declining strip ratio. So if you remember back 2019, we were operating around 11.4 to 1. Uh, we'll be lower this year, around 10.7, and as we go into 2021, we're going to be around 10 to 1. So we're we're setting the business unit up to have an improved uh, cost structure around the strip ratio itself. Uh, Don mentioned the closure of Cardinal River. We're actually closing that early, so it's going to be shut down around the end of June. We've got the $9 million complete at Elkview, so you've got a, a structural change around the operating costs uh, within the business unit as well that's kicking in. And then with Race 21, you know, you mentioned that as well. That strategy will be focused on some of the shortest-term, uh, highest-value projects, which will likely be focused on, you know, on the, on the uh, plant operations. So we'll see pretty good payback on, on that. And then just around CRP, um, you know, this is what we're good at. In coal mining, we go through ups and downs, and we've demonstrated in the past we get into a low cycle like this, we're able to cut spending. And, you know, that was reflected in a large part in Q1 when we saw the spending or the, the cost actually quite a bit lower than we anticipated or had signaled earlier in the year. So we're uh, we're pretty well set up to take this on right now. And Dale, uh, Dale, I can make a couple of quick comments on on copper and zinc. I think the question was, was uh, specific to zinc, um, but I just want to remind uh, that that our quarterly uh, zinc costs do depend on our lead sales, and uh, typically that uh, are, those are, are stronger as the, as the year progresses and start in Q2, and, and particularly strong stronger in the Q3 and Q4. Although we have suspended guidance as, as, as we talked about previously. Um, but uh, CRP and uh, RACE21 are uh, also being driven uh, throughout uh, the copper and zinc uh, operations, and I was quite pleased with um, both uh, uh, copper and zinc for the cost performance in, uh, in Q1, and we're going to continue to drive that as we go forward. Great, thank you. And just a follow-up, uh, or uh, I guess an additional question on, on the disbursements of QB2 uh, financing. Has there been any alterations to, to the schedule that was presented earlier um, you know, for, for the remaining uh, of, of the $3.9 billion that, uh, you know, that the project still needs to spend? So I just want to be clear on the question. Any changes to the schedule on our uh, project finance? Is that what you're referring to? Right, exactly. On the disbursement of those, uh, of that. Uh, oh, disbursement. Okay. Well, Ron Mills or Scott Wilson, over to you. Scott, do you want to um, take that one? Sure, Scott Wilson. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, spending profile um, on QB2 will be uh, somewhat impacted uh, by the construction suspension. Uh, mm -hmm. We updated the project finance lenders on this a couple of weeks ago, and over the balance of 2020, we think that uh, there will be something like $200 million less drawn on the project finance facility than, 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 than pre-suspension. Uh, so uh, that reflects uh, procurement activities continuing and payments for commitments that have already been made. Uh, but other than that, uh, we will continue to uh, utilize the project finance facility as intended. All right. Thank you very much. Good luck. Okay. And I just want to go back to Oris' question earlier. Uh, and while we talked about the tonnage sales in Q1 of 2009, the equivalent quarter, if you like, uh, to upcoming Q2, and that number is possible, the, the most important uh, number to watch is really the hot metal production that Rail fully talked about. Uh, and that, at this stage, is down about 15%. Uh, outside of China. China, of course, is back uh, basically to 100% of steel production, and we do sell to China as well, though not as much as we do, used to. Uh, we could choose to sell more there. So I think those are the, the more important driving factors in trying to uh, make an educated guess on what will happen in Q2. And one thing maybe uh, I could add also, Don, is uh, 
we, we also need to look on the supply side for steel making coal. So currently, the, the supply disruption, reduction, or closures that have been announced add up to somewhere around 38 to 40 million tons. So uh, that is, again, outside of China. If you factor in China, the Mongolian exports into China are down 5 million tons year-to-date March, and the domestic China production of coking coal is also down 5 million tons year-to-date. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question is from Kurt Woodworth with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, good morning. Question on the, the coal side. I wonder if you could comment a little bit about sort of tactically how you're managing the volume flow. So, you know, my understanding is that you don't have a lot of spot market sales. Is there an opportunity to try to divert you know, some of your traditional contract customer base into China, um, you know, or other avenues? And then can you give us a sense um, for kind of what your year-on-year shipment rates look like today or kind of what April is at? Okay, uh, Real, over to you. All right. So, uh, of course, we, we are in, in the market every day. Uh as you can imagine, Kurt, with, with global economic activity slowing, uh, there is less demand uh, on the spot market uh, as well. Now, we continue to talk to customers. We have customers in all markets, including China, uh, India, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, pretty much in, in all areas of, of the world, the Americas also. Uh, so it is it is a challenging time. It is difficult uh, right now, uh, specifically with respect to uh, to Q2. When we look at volume, um, April is is looking pretty good. Uh, but as we start to receive notification from customers. We could see the impact uh, later on in the quarter, maybe in May or June, but it is too early to say. Because when, when you look at how um, the, the shipping world works for coal, the nominations for vessels are somewhere around two weeks or so prior to vessel loading. So it is, it is uncertain and a little bit unclear right now. Okay, thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Gordon Lawson with Paradigm Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, could you talk about the timing expected for the remaining permits for the water treatment facilities at Fording River and what work remains for Elkview's Phase 2 SRF? Uh, Robin Schermetto, over to you. Yeah, just uh, just I'll have to ask you to repeat the first one. Just on the LQ SRF, that project will it's under construction now and it'll be completed by the fourth quarter of 2020. But I didn't quite understand the first uh, question. Uh, you talk about um, there's remaining permits for the treatment facilities at Fording River. Um, is there any uh, guidance you can provide with respect to timing? On the well, the permits are. They just go through stages. So there's the construction permit, and then there's an operating permit. So the timing on those are really just staged around the progression of the project itself. So uh, presumably the timing on the actual operation permits will occur in 2021. So we're just working through construction now. Okay. And as a follow-up, the strip ratio was quite high this quarter. Um, When can we expect this to come down to the, uh, the 10 times range? Yeah, well, through 2020, the current mine plant has us around 10.7, so that would be the average across the year. So you saw a higher strip ratio in the first quarter simply because of the the logistic challenges we had through January and February, and so our production levels were quite a bit lower than what we had anticipated. So that affected strip ratio in the short term, and that will balance out over the next three quarters. So if you think about it, in a sense, we got ahead of stripping in the first quarter, and that smooths out for the rest of the year. But you can expect the the average for the year to be around that 10.7 range. And then uh, following that, as we uh, 
just as we progress into 2021, the strip ratio does drop down to around 10 to 1 on average. And Robin, uh, 10, that 10.7 compares to, is it 11.4 last year? It was 11.4 in 2019, EBA. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Jackie Brzezglowski with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. I just wanted to dig into a little bit the comments that you've got in your MDNA on uh, the Elk Valley uh, water quality. So maybe following up a little bit on Gordon's questions, um, you've, you've got a note in, in the MDNA about uh, fish population, uh, the specific kind of trout uh, being affected. Um, and and uh, maybe a little bit of a scary sentence at the end where it says that you may face delays in permitting or restrictions on mining activities. Can you give us a little bit more color in terms of like what um, what kind of studies are required to determine the causes of this uh, population decline and what what actually the risks would be to your um, your operations? Like what would we need to see, I guess, uh, in terms of the study result for your operations to be impacted? Thanks. Okay, Robin, why don't you start and then you can throw it to uh, whoever you like for the balance. Sure. Um, just in, as far as the causation study, that there's a considerable amount of work that has to be done in that area. So it's it's not a simple process to land on a cause. And because I we haven't got a sense of, of what the outcome of that's going to be, it'd be pretty tough to speculate on, on how we'd respond to it. So that, that work continues. There's an incredibly uh, competent team that is, is working through that. And by the middle of the year, probably closer in the second half, we should have some outcome on, on those results. I wouldn't want to speculate on what, how that impacts, how that's going to impact the, the operations. So if I could just ask a follow-up um, on that. If, if, uh, if it's determined that you know, hypothetically, let's say some activity uh, at the mine or or the sea saturated rock fill treatment or something like that was contributing to this issue. Um, would would that be uh, cause the government to um, to require you to slow mining down or slow processing down? I think all that's just speculation. You know, to be honest, I, until we have an actual cause, there's some some combination of causes. There's no real way of knowing what the, you know, what the uh, response would be. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, and then if I can just ask one other question on Antonina. Um, the previous release that you put out um, had, had basically said that, you know, you're doing a shift change, uh, sanitizing all the work services and bringing the, the crews back. This, this um, MDNA that you put out today, is a little bit more um, vague on timing. Is has there been a change in terms of the activities that are required for the miners to return to work? Are you uh, are you now sort of looped in with uh, with the state of emergency legislation in the in the country, or are you still able to return to work as soon as uh, as soon as it's sanitized and the crews are ready to go? Dale Andrus, over to you. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jackie. Um, it is, uh, we basically said it's uncertain at this time because it is going to take a little bit longer. Uh, it is take, it did take a, a little bit longer to demobilize the crews. Uh, there still is the state of emergency in effect and that does uh, limit transportation of, uh, workers um, between regions. Um, we have now demobilized uh, all, all the crews except for, uh, we'll call it a care and maintenance crew or, or core essential services crew. And we currently have about four to 500 people on site. So we moved about 2,000 people off uh, after initially moving 4,000 people before the original state of emergency. So we're working through the details of um, how regional movement of crews, uh, we're still cleaning the facilities, uh, and, and uh, we do expect it to take a little bit longer, but, but the exact timing is, uh, is uncertain. Thanks very much. Thank you. The next question is from Tim Natanners with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. And um I uh, hope everyone's doing all right and healthy. Just wanted to um, ask a little bit more. I know you suspended guidance, and we've been talking about some specific projects, but if you could talk a little bit on a high level on, on CapEx, on what 
amount or percent, if you will, um, could be flexible or could be reassessed if conditions continue to remain depressed. And along those same lines, if you could provide some more color about what you and your partners at Port Hills are discussing in terms of when and how to make a decision on any further cuts. Okay. Um, on CapEx, and I, I may turn over to Ron Millis a bit in, in a minute, but um, really the reductions in CapEx are included in our CRP targets and because they are both CapEx and OpEx. And so we're going through business by business. I, I meet with the leaders of each division, and we go through what the trade-offs are in sustaining capital or actual uh, uh, enhancement projects, whether they can be stopped, deferred, um, reduced, and, and uh, then the, the total reductions will show up in that CRP number, and uh, Ron Mills is managing that. I'll just talk to the Fort Hills question first and then turn it to you, Ron. On Fort Hills, we are having an ongoing dialogue with the partners, uh, Suncor, the operator, of course, and Total, and looking at uh, different options. There are um, a lot of factors to consider. It's a complicated decision, and, you know, the starting point is you have to take a view on what you think uh, oil prices and WCS prices are likely to be and, and when. Uh, because if you're looking at um, uh, reducing production further or going to shut down, then you have to look at uh, winterization costs that uh, would be quite substantial if you if you were all the way into sort of uh, the November-December period. So if you're going to do that, you'd want to make sure that uh, you were going to be shut down for a long enough period to justify that versus uh, sustaining operating losses on, on fewer barrels operating. So those are the trade-offs. And if you think that the oil price is coming back um, a year or two from now, then, then you clearly wouldn't do that because there's lots of risk associated with it as well. So um, uh, Suncor is uh, you know, going through the different uh, iterations and studies, and we'll be looking at that with them, I think, towards the end of this month. And uh, you'll hear more in due course. Um, uh, uh, but um, you know, it is a very complex decision for sure. Ron, back to you on CRP and CapEx. Uh, sure, Don. The, um, of the uh, one billion target, about two thirds of that is, is capex reductions, and that's that's uh, spread amongst the, the various sites. Um, just the, the the total program itself of the uh, of the uh, the billion dollars, about eighty, a little over eighty percent of it is at the operating sites, being coal-based metals and, and energy. And the balance is split amongst the um, our IT systems, uh, satellite projects, uh, corporate costs, and you know exploration and, and other project type expenditures. So that gives a sense of uh, of where the uh, cost reductions are currently uh, coming from, and that and that's the full based on the full target. Okay, great. And just to complete the thought, then, um, can you remind us? On QB2, that decision was made because of COVID-19, is my understanding. But is there any decision that you would make? Um, with regard to the copper price on any of your projects, given the depressed level, um, you know, how do you think about that? And with the buybacks, it sounds like, I just want to confirm, it sounds like that was completing an authorization and you don't have anything set up further. Thanks a lot. On the first question, it, uh, there's no change in our outlook for, uh, in long term for the copper price. In fact, uh, if anything, uh, COVID-19 has probably made that more positive. I, I think most people know about the antimicrobial properties of copper and the COVID-19 virus uh, dies within four hours on a copper surface, but it lives for days and days on on uh, stainless steel or, or uh, uh, other surfaces. So um, we would hope that in the long term that uh, various public transit infrastructure and healthcare hospital facilities would be using more copper. So no change in that at all. And uh, yes, we completed the uh, authorized uh, buyback, and the board would review that again, um, you know, as as we go through and, and have a better understanding of when QB2 has started and how COVID-19 has, has shaken out. But we uh, clearly believe that um, that it's good value uh, at these levels is very good value, and we do want to make sure, Tim, that you and everybody at Vamal did see the LP plant uh, was was uh, completed, and that's a very important uh, investment. Some could even say a, a milestone or catalyst uh, related to our coal business for the long term. Thank you. Uh, Alana, and, and, sorry, and Don, sorry. To, just Robin's going to jump back in here. <clears throat> okay, I appreciate that. I I uh, just want to come back to a question that Jackie had, and I, and I might have misunderstood that question in the particular part of the MBA that was being referred to, but 
that qualifier that's in the, the MDNA about the alkylate uh, permitting, it's not specific to the missing trout. Generally, we need to show progress in managing water quality issues in order to keep permitting on track. And we're doing that and working closely with the regulators. This is a really complex problem with numerous stakeholders, and there's always a chance that something unexpected com comes up. But that's, but we are making progress, and that's really what that, uh, that statement was meant to, to highlight. Thank you. And the next question is from Chris Carey with Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, hi, Don and team. Um, uh, first question from me is just, just in terms of the oil FX declines um, should be benefiting your operations. I think you've provided sensitivities in the past. We're just wondering if you could go through those. And then as a follow-on to that, I think you talked about it on the call at the start of April around the investor day that you would you wouldn't hedge anything related to QB2. But I just wondered if you could just talk about any hedging policies, not on the revenue side, but on the cost side for FX or oil for the for the broader business. Thanks. Ryan, are you on? Sorry, I was on mute. I apologize. Uh, Ryan, if you could uh, uh, take the first question on, on FX, but I'll start by addressing the overall hedging question. And so uh, our hedging policy, broadly speaking, is we don't hedge the, the specific commodities that we produce um, because we know our shareholders are buying us for exposure to those commodities. Um, historically, when we used to have annual benchmark pricing in coal and then quarterly benchmarking, we hedged the Canadian dollar, the currency we locked in our cost base once we'd known we'd locked in uh, the, the tonnage and, and the uh, sales price. But since um, so much more business is done on spot that we don't do that anymore. Um, for sources of supply at places like Red Dog when we're buying diesel, we can hedge that. We also do smooth out the zinc price received um, at Red Dog because there's so much seasonality to its shipping, but it ends up uh, net sort of average zinc price for the year. Uh, but we don't end up in a position where we're uh, long or short uh, a commodity or the exchange rate because uh, uh, we don't want to build that risk into our business for our shareholders. Ron, and on sensitivities to FX, over to you. You might be on mute as well, Ron. Sorry, here I am. My apologies. <laughs> Sorry, if, if I heard the question properly, I thought it was related to the asset impairment and uh, the details on the sensitivities are provided in Note 4 to uh, the financial statements. But uh, the U.S. Uh, one cent strengthening in the Canadian dollar uh, would affect the uh, the uh, impairment by about $50 million and, and a $1 change in the WCS price would be about $147 million. Uh, thanks, Ron. Yeah, I was more asking about the operations, so just how it actually translates through on a real-time basis on, on falling FX in some of, some of your, some of your operations uh, right now. Thanks. Yeah, Ron, just yeah, our, our main sensitivity chart. Yeah, so the main sensitivity chart, we obviously withdrew that uh, because the sensitivities are based on uh, our estimates of uh, production volumes. And uh, we, um, you know, with pulling back the guidance, it's, it's, uh, we're a little concerned that providing any sort of sensitivity information could be uh, uh, result in, in numbers that are not correct. And, and that the, uh, the sensitivities are disclosed in, in, in our annual report. Um, I don't have the number handy. My recollection was it's around $60 million uh, for every penny, and that was based on the guidance that we previously gave and withdrawn. So uh, I would be, I, I would caution people to be very, very careful on, on using those sensitivities now because uh, they, they are impacted by volumes, they're impacted by prices and, and movements, and, and they're probably no longer accurate. Okay. Okay. Thanks. And then the, the following from me, just you talked a bit about the water treatment um, on in coal um, and given some colour on that. So I think in Jackie's question earlier, but 
There's also a comment on Red Dog in the release around tailings and water-related projects in 2020. I just wondered if you could give some more details on that and any CapEx associated with it. Thank you. Uh, Dale, I guess. Yeah, I'll take that, uh, Don. Um, yeah, we have over the last couple of years experienced uh, higher than normal uh, water, uh, uh, you know, precipitation and water inflow. And so we're just flagging that in 2020, uh, there's a higher than normal uh, amount of projects associated with water and tailings to manage that situation uh, to set ourselves up uh, well for, for the longer term. Um, uh, as far as the specifics, uh, I think we did have, uh, you know, originally capital guidance in uh, our, our Q4 uh, release. We've now withdrawn that guidance due to COVID, but um, those are the kind of projects. I think there was a question earlier about what, what's our uh, uh, potential to reduce sustaining capital going forward. That's one area that we will not be able to reduce, and um, it will be higher than normal for uh, 2020. Uh, Alana, uh, I think we've come to the end of our time. We should hand it back here to Don for uh, his closing remarks. Thanks. Okay. Well, well, thank you, Fraser, and thank you all for joining us today. I just want to sort of give a, a, an overview or summary, if you like, to how we see things. If you look back at the last six or seven weeks, I sort of think of that as the, the operational phase of dealing with the effects of COVID-19, where all of us... Uh, uh, both, uh, you know, in our work and in personal lives, uh, have had to go up a learning curve and figure out uh, what protocols need to be in place and, and how to deal with it, physical distancing and the rest. But I'm encouraged because we've got through that operational phase and uh, we are well up the learning curve now. And uh, we are able to operate um, at uh, close to capacity levels. We now have taken the step to go from 50% of our employees on site back up to 75% with the full support of the Interior Health Authority, and uh, we see a lot more confidence among employees and their families, the communities, the mayors of the towns, the president of the Steelworkers Union, and a lot of support, people working very hard to get through this, and they have been successful. So now we have confidence that we are able to operate, and even logistics chain has been performing extremely well, too. So now we're going to the next phase, and, and that's where, you know, the the market um, is going to be um, uh, reduced in somewhat as uh, all the things that the world had to do in the global economy uh, take hold. But uh, we look at the length of that. We know it's one quarter. It's probably two. But is it three or four? Um, I don't think so. It doesn't look like it because we see the results in China where industrial production bases back up to 98.5%. Their steel industry is at 100%. We see what Korea is doing. We see countries all over the world getting their arms around this issue and the world will fix itself, it always does. So at some point, uh, there is the other side of the valley, which we kind of think looks pretty green and lush when you figure that $8 trillion of stimulus, monetary and fiscal, has been announced around the world. So yes, um, we have cautioned about uh, sales volumes in Q2, and, and I think that should be expected, but that no way makes us think that the long-term uh, uh, prospects for the business have changed, uh, changed radically, and in fact, we think the comeback uh, could be could it be pretty interesting um, once we get through this next quarter or two. So um, I do want to thank all of uh, my team uh, that have performed at an extraordinary level these last six or seven weeks as we were dealt with challenge and challenge after challenge. Uh, we will have other cases of COVID-19. There's no question about that. There's an inevitability to that, but we know how to deal with that, and we will. Thank you to all the shareholders uh, and the analysts who have joined the call today, and we look forward to updating you again uh, uh, after Q2. Thanks very much. Call is adjourned. Well, I should say, at the end of every meeting at Tech, I always say this. Stay healthy, keep the faith, this too shall pass, and all will be well. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye now. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you all for your participation.
Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.